Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I met some people along the way Some of them did some of them stay Some of them want some more goodbye Gotta be friends, I love till I die Hey punkers, this one is right up your alley. Joining us today is Pete Steinkopf, lead guitarist for the New Jersey punk rock band The Bouncing Souls. Together we break down their fan-favorite anthem, True Believers, taken from their 2001 album, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. I can't think of a finer example of a song which uses the same three chords for two and a half minutes that doesn't feel stagnant or laborious. The band's use of dynamics within the track are uplifting and powerful, while staying cohesive throughout. Pete likens this to the band not knowing what they were doing back then when it came to songwriting, instead relying solely on what made them feel good. He spoke about how this was one of the first times that he and bassist Brian Kylan branched out and wrote lyrics, something that prior to this rested primarily on the shoulders of lead singer Greg Antonito. While writing the song and all the way through the recording process, this felt like just another song to Pete and the rest of the band. It wasn't until they played it live that they realized it was something special. Their fans were absolutely rabid for it, as evidenced by the fact that the band has played this song at every Bouncing Souls show since its release. Pretty impressive. For all this in a fist in the air sing-along, I'll see you in the pit. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Now, are you at, is, is it Eden Studios? Is that your studio? A Little Eden, yeah. Little Eden. It's in uh, Osbury Park. Okay, okay. Is, yeah. is that out of your home or is that an actual lo- different location? It's in like uh, where the band has our practice space and uh, this old house that um, our, old, our old manager, Kate is great. Right on, yeah, yeah. Like we built a whole uh, kind of complex down there, kind of took over her whole downstairs and basement. There's a recording studio, practice space, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, man, you, you, and you've been producing a ton of bands man i was i i, I knew you've been busy the past uh however many years but i went back and looked it's like wow man you've been busy yeah thanks man yeah it, it's been super fun to do um started doing it like about like 10 years ago or so and uh just been like whenever we're home i just take on like all kinds of projects like there's such a big and cool like local music scene here too so there's there's tons of bands here that i do and then like bands come from all over as well so it's a cool cool mix of all kinds of kinds of stuff well you brought up the scene and you know typically i like to get into these episodes get into the song real quick and and today we're going to be talking about one of your standout i I think most well-known tracks true believers but but before we get into that you know you mentioned the scene in jersey and i just want to talk about that a little bit like you kind of had to be there in the 90s it was it was kind of less than jake's second home outside of florida we got up there on our first ever tour and we were playing you know the, the the manville elks lodges and we were playing kids backyards and it was just absolutely incredible what was it like for you guys coming up in that was was there a lot of competition because you were another jersey band or did you feel the same camaraderie we did because we felt like we were included in that scene it was total like camaraderie like everyone was doing shows like wherever they could like we did shows in our backyard yeah you know like we had shows at our house and um we play at our, our friends basements and we'd go to like all different you were saying like elks halls and like, new jersey and like Eastern PA, like we're the same way. There's like a Elks Hall in every town that some kid had had shows in. Every weekend, we just like be like at one or another, you know, doing shows to tons of people. And it was it was an awesome time to be a band that's just kind of getting started and 
trying to break out into somewhere besides their own town, you know? Yeah, and, you know, in that whole tri-state area, there, there was just so many places to play that I know a lot of bands that, uh, maybe even you guys included, that that didn't even leave that area for a number of years because they didn't have to. It was like you could tour so many places yeah. in Pennsylvania, New York, Jersey. Our first few years, it was just our, like, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. We would just play every week and be totally busy, you know? And we start, like, playing bigger shows at places like City Gardens and um, some some spots in New York. And then that's when it started to kind of build, you know? Sure. What was the songwriting process back then? Was it just you guys in a garage jamming? And then do you remember when you were cu- first started cutting demos or, or did you just rehearse up to the point you were going to go into the studio? We were in high school and we just like wrote songs and we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, like <laughs> that's the best way. When we recorded a uh, gold record in 2006 with Ted Hutt, he told us like, like what a bridge was, you know? And, and we've been banned for 16 years, you know, <laughs> so we were just like, this sounds cool there. This sounds cool here. This part should be done two times because it's the coolest part. And so that be- became the chorus, you know, and that's really as far as like a songwriting, that's all we really knew about for our first like demos and even our first couple of records, you know, and like we were really terrible with most bands and but we. <laughs> a lot of spirit <laughs> and so people like like coming to our shows because we were just like fun as fuck you know but oh yeah we, like, we didn't have any good songs until we wrote a couple songs for first record that ended up being like a turning point for us we're like oh like like this is the direction that is like cool you know is, is that like the good the bad and the argyle those days yeah 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 a couple songs like we're like our our first ones that we wrote that we were like oh like, like these are good songs and like we're an actual band you know do you ever wish you don't know as much as you know now like sometimes i think about that like man i wish i didn't really know what a bridge was or this because there's something about that primitive songwriting and there's people that swear like our first record's the best thing they ever heard and it, to me it sounds like a, a demo you know and like i'm like what do what do you hear there that i'm not hearing <laughs> the coolest part about like our kind of music like the weird stuff is the coolest stuff you know and we've um during the pandemic, we did a thing with uh, our Patreon page where we wrote songs like for 10 people. It was a really cool exercise because like we kind of went back to that. We weren't in a room like uh, overthinking every fucking thing over and over and like banging our heads against the wall. So we do like a, a Zoom with the person for like half an hour, like um, get to know them and stuff and get a couple key points of their life. Then like me and Brian would just like write like uh, a couple riffs on a click track, like just kind of linear almost. Then send him to George and he'd do drums. And Greg would sing his his first ideas like that was a song and it was done. What a great idea! That's cool. They ended up being really good songs. So we're actually like like right now like in the process of um, reworking some of them to do record. But but the people got their own one off like seven inch of the original idea. You know, it went back to us being like that band in high school because we weren't in a room together like with all our bad habits that we've for better or worse have learned over the years. We uh, just got to just this is the idea and it's done and we can't do it any more than we've already done. Well, yeah. I mean, your, your drummer, George Ribello, uh, is lives down in Florida and I know Greg's out in what, Idaho? Idaho, yeah. 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 So with, with technology, you're able to bounce tracks back and forth. And uh, again, that's something we, we, we couldn't have done back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it gave us the opportunity to just totally deconstruct our whole process or whatever the fuck you call it mm-hmm. and just like write fun music together and, and not overthink it, you know? That's a great point because we, we spent a lot more time back in the early days arguing over parts and songs that, uh, or a lot less time, I should say, arguing about stuff that, we, you know, we do we do way more now of like analyzing and overthinking it and six hours goes by and it's like, okay, can we finish the bridge or can we finish the, the chorus? <laughs> now that you go back and like the idea you had seven hours ago is the one like you end up with because you're like oh yeah our original instinct was was the best instinct and but like everyone's got to like put in their two cents because we're all 50 year old men with you know <laughs> you know what i mean i t- i, I totally you know i totally get that and want to go back talk a little bit about late 90s you know maniacal laughter came out on on your own label chunk chunk saw records in 96 and the producer on that record was tom wilson and yeah. and Tom's like legendary. I mean, he's, you know, did stuff back in the 80s, adolescence. Uh, you know, he, he did Iggy Pop, uh, did Face to Face in the 90s, of course, uh, uh, Smash from The Offspring. And from there in 97, you guys got signed to Epitaph. You did the self-titled record in 97 with Tom. And in 99, in May of 99, you put out Hopeless Romantic. And Tom also did that record. But True Believers is off of How I Spent My Summer Vacation from 2001, 
And I noticed that you and Brian both have a production credit with John Seymour. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about how that process happened and, and, and why you, you changed producers at that point. That time the band was a, was like the first time we ever uh, had a member change. And mm-hmm. it was a whole turning point with the whole band. Like it's the only time like we've ever had a member change. Uh, Greg had moved to California. And we used to just be like this group of guys that all lived at least like kind of close to each other. And we'd all just, you know, get our fucking BMX bikes and go to like a practice space to hang out. And it became like a different thing where we had a new guy in the band that that like we had to gel with to become a band again. And Greg had gone to California. So we had a whole new band dynamic then for the first time. And it kind of um, shot a whole new energy into us, but also to completely changed how we wrote that record completely. Which was cool. You know? Well, I got to tell you, you know, Tom Wilson is no uh, <laughs> slouch when it comes to producing. And I looked up John Seymour's credits. I mean, he's worked with everybody from U2, Dave Matthews, Mighty Mighty Boston's, Alice in Chains, Biohazard, Sick of It All. You guys, I mean, he comes from a, a long list of, of amazing credits. But there was also the factor of Mike McDermott. You know, Mike took over on drums and, and just what a powerhouse. And I think Mike made the whole band better. And that's not a knock against Shaw, your original drummer. You guys were always a great, as you said, fun party band. It was a, a good time seeing the souls. But you know, 2001 Warp Tour, we spent that summer with you. And that's when this record came out. We were floored. And I mean, you guys get a, you, you did a string of records from this one, 2003 Anchors Away, 2006 The Gold Record, just some amazing albums, a, a great, great string of records. And I remember being amazed, my whole band, we played that record on our bus that summer. It was like the, the party record, and which, which is kind of strange. You're out on tour with band, and, and I don't even know if you guys knew that. It was almost like, I don't know, I want to say embarrassing, but hey, we're broing down to your record every night, you know? <laughs> when I saw you at the barbecue two hours earlier, eat, you know, eating and, and drinking together. But um, that, summer, that summer was amazing. Warp Tour 2001, uh, we were on it. AFI, Rancid, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, you guys, Jimmy World, Pennywise, and... I remember watching you guys that summer, and that was when, in my opinion, you truly became a band. Yeah, McDermott, like uh, like I said, like he brought a whole new energy in the band, but we spent the year before that, Greg had moved to California, so me and Brian uh, and McDermott would just go to our practice space, like, you know, like it was a day job, it was a like nine to five, like in our practice space, just playing together, you know, like for hours and hours and hours, and learning to gel with McDermott, and like we became like a real tight fucking unit you know like it was badass and then we started to write that record we always like all like uh contributed some lyrics and stuff but greg always wrote like uh the lion's share of them right um but because he was in california like me and brian are like like let's just write a record you know or, or like as many songs as we can with mcdermott because we're on this uh streak and like this vibe like all together just like just like playing music you know so we spent that whole summer of uh 2000 me and Brian would just go to like each other's apartments in New York and just like shot down like whatever ideas we each had. And um, then we'd take them to the room with McDermott and turn them into songs. And, and like we've always been the kind of band where like we all like write songs, you know, but they're not great until we all combine. Yeah, like band effort. Like the fucking Avengers, you know, like, <laughs> like we all get together and we're like a good band, you know, but like I can write a song that's like cool, but until Brian and Greg put their like stuff on it, then it's a, it's a rather like soul song, you know? The band is the sum of its parts. I mean, very few popular bands, successful bands, had a singer that went out in a, a successful solo career. It happens, but, you know, I know I'm greater with the sum of my parts for sure. Let's not forget, from 1999, uh, the Hopeless Romantic Tour lasted better part of two years. You guys were on the road a ton, and, I mean, you're getting your chops up. So, And, of course, you had played the whole previous decade in the 90s so by this time you guys were, were kind of seasoned and ready to go you know I, I went with true believers because this song kind of is the embodiment of what jersey's always kind of uh meant to me you know uh vinnie fiorello lesson jake's uh, former drummer him and i started less than jake and uh, he's a jersey guy and so i have a lot of a lot of connection to jersey talk uh, mentioning earlier about all the, the shows you did there early on and being accepted it's a working class state uh Bruce Springsteen's from there, <laughs> you know. Uh, got a lot of heart, got a lot of love. A lot of heart, a lot of heart, and a lot of love. And I, I feel like these lyrics kind of sum that up. I also have a special connection to, to True Believers, aside from the amazing memories of 2001 Warp Tour and listening to this record and seeing you guys perform it every night. I got to play this song with Hot Water Music in 2017. They had asked me to fill in for Chris Wallard, who couldn't make it. We went down to Sao Paulo, Brazil for one show. 
your shared drummer, George, he, uh, he hits me up by text about a month prior to the show. He's like, hey, I need you to learn 19 songs. Here they are. Oh, and by the way, we do True Believers by the Souls. I'm like, okay, cool. And uh, just a lot of fun to play and, and uh, what, what, a, what a really cool time to be able to, to go jam with another band. I had never done that before. And what a great band to be able to go and fucking jam with. Like, Ugh, un- I, that was the first time I'd ever played with George. I mean, what a monster. I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable. But uh, I want to jump into the track now. And, and and what do you recall about this song? Was this something that was was kicking around as you guys, were you, were you jamming this around the hopeless romantic era? Or was this written specifically for how I spent my summer vacation? No, it was like, it's one of the ones that um, me and Brian wrote together, like in my apartment. If I remember correctly, title True Believers, um, my friend Mike Cavallaro, uh, Johnny X. Yeah, right. He's like a, one of like our best friends, and uh, he's in a lot of bands. And he um, he wrote that song like the Battle of Johnny X and stuff. Johnny says he's bound by only six strings to this world. Johnny says he'll keep them always one turn out of tune. Johnny never listens to the kids that say. always like telling musical ideas together and like hanging out together and i was at his house and he was talking about band names for like his new band you know and one of the band names he came up with was uh true believers you know okay i was like damn that's really fucking good you know <laughs> that's such a great band name <laughs> i'm gonna file that away <laughs> I'm, I'm like <laughs> but he ended up not using it so i ended up borrowing it from mike and i was like this is gonna be a really cool song title you know and then um the intro of the song i remember i wrote it on the beach with like my ex-girlfriend and um we were hanging out at a party like the night before and uh if i remember correctly i won't say who but a, a good friend of ours like said something really fucking mean to me you know and i was like <laughs> i was fucked up you know and it like stuck me it like shook me you know it like rattled me i'm like oh man that was fucked up you know like, i i couldn't tell like if he was kidding or or, or what but it's like it's like doug you know I was like, dude, that's fucked up, man. And then it stuck with me. And like the next morning, I wrote that intro lyrics just about like people and our friends, you know, because I was just like kind of pissed at him. And I was like digging at him, but like like praising all the people that I really loved. So that's how that beginning thing started. Oh, uh, that's really cool that you say that because now these lyrics really make sense. There's a couple lines in there and, and we're going to get to them in, in, in a second. You know, 20 years ago, and I can't believe this record's 20 years old. I don't know where the time went, Pete, but <laughs> 20 years ago, you know, we didn't have YouTube, you know, your, your song wasn't going to be when you played it live up on, uh, you know, on the internet the next day. Do you recall playing this song before you recorded it? We didn't play a whole lot of shows before we recorded that record, like just like a handful, I think, like, cause, um, we, uh, wrote the record and then we recorded it like that fall. So it wasn't a whole lot of time in between. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after these messages from our sponsors. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. Well, the song's two minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, standard tuning, uh, key of C major. And you want to talk about dynamics? This song has so many dynamics because it needs to because the chord progression of FCG is the only thing until the very last couple seconds of the song. It, it, it's only FC, so it doesn't really change. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the same chords, but it's just little Simon says. It's just a little opposite. You're right. You're right. But um, the use of dynamics in this song, and we were talking, you and I, the other day, I was saying something about this song, and you're like, yeah, three chords. I'm like, yeah, that's that was the allure of punk rock to me. You know, I was an 80s guy. I grew up with these flashy guitar players. I couldn't play like that. It's like, oh, well, there's this kind of music. When I first heard The Misfits, my whole life was turned upside down. It's like, well, wait a second, you know, and then, you know, you listen to the Ramones. It's just three chords, and, and that that was the allure. So, you know, when when you we kind of had a laugh about that the other day, and then, then when I was really getting in and breaking down the song differently than when I learned it with Hot Water, really getting in and breaking down, I'm like, wow, the use of dynamics here is so key to being able to have the same chords. And the, there's a hit with the drums, bass, and guitar right off the top that rings out. And at the end of each line, there's another hit. I met some people who don't know it. Some of them did, some of them stayed. Some of them walked, some more gone by. Got a few friends, I left it, I died. From all these people that shot too late. Some of them shine, some of them burn. Some of them rise, some of them fall. For good or bad, I love them all. I met some people along the way. Some of them split, some of them stay. Some of them walk, some walk on by. Got a few friends I'll love till I die. From all these people I've tried to learn. Some of them shine, some of them burn. Some of them rise, some of them fall. But good or bad, I've known them all. It's that last line, but good or bad. It's kind of like that guy that was talking smack about you. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's his line. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Like, I was just like thinking about like I said, like a friend of mine just has shaken me to the core to the point that I was just like, just like start thinking about all that shit. Like all my friends, like, you know, we have a pretty tight crew of old friends that we still have, you know, of, you know, like they're like our, our lifelong that we've all kind of come together through the band and then through life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and they're like the people that that song was about, but then it ended up kind of being about everyone that we connect with uh, at shows or that like I go to shows, you know, like, I'm a true believer. Like I go to shows and like fucking sing my heart out, you know, like yeah. it's all kind of like, I ended up just being about all of us, you know, who really can't relate, you know, to these lyrics. And again, it goes back to that Jersey thing. There's that camaraderie of that scene and all fists in the air, you know, was this record recorded analog or pro tools? This one was recorded analog. And then we dumped it into pro tools kind of style. You dumped it. Okay. Well, on, on the last line here, there's a snare and Tom buildup on on the lyric, I've known them all. And it sounds like the band speeds up there. Some of them rise, some of them fall. For good or bad, I've known them all. Was this recorded to a click that you recall, or is there a speed up? We never recorded to a click track until this record is the first time we ever recorded to a click track. And it was just one song, uh, song gone. Okay. Yeah the only time we've ever and then after that that's when we kind of started like learning about that because again like 2001 we've been a band for 11 years and we didn't know you had to play on time well you know and another shout out to mike mcdermott he's a great drummer so having that speed up is good for punk rock and it's good for that push and pull and that energy and i definitely hear it speeding up there you know it's interesting talking about not knowing what you're doing with songs like this next part like who has a guitar solo come in after the verse, before the chorus? Usually you'd go, yeah, pre-chorus or something, and there's a guitar solo here at the 21-second mark. I, and I call this not even a solo. I'm, I'm calling this the, the interlude. Guitar solo for eight bars, playing the vocal melody. We did a bunch of songs like that where we were like, like we called them music parts, you know? Yeah. Let's do a music part there where like the, the guitar or bass would like mimic the hook. That's exactly what it is. And the, the first four bars are a lower cadence. And then it goes up an octave for the last four bars. And this is just reminiscent of like all those bands I grew up loving, punk rock, The Jam, The Ramones, Screeching Weasel, Social Distortion. They would have these guitar licks that would mimic the vocal melody it, would, it, it was keeping the song going they'd have like a little bit of uh like a flourish to, to you know to make them interesting but they were they're basically the 
the chorus. What I like about this part too, and and I know you guys thought about this. We definitely thought about it early on. It wasn't until later records were like, eh, whatever, we'll figure it out live. But I love this part because it, it, it goes back to that spirit of of we're a punk band. We got four members and, and, and there, there's no studio trickery going on here in the sense that the first four bars were lower, and then, it, then it went up high when it went up an octave. But it wasn't like there was two guitars there. It's like, I'm one guitar player. I'm going to play the, the, the song how I play it live. Was that the idea? Up till like that record and, and Anchors Away and Gold Records when we started to really do like a lot of like layering and stuff. Mm-hmm. Those were like, like if we can't do it live, like, like let's not do it, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And for one guitar band, that's fucking challenging, you know? Very challenging. Brian's like style developed by being like almost like the second guitar player. Like he, he plays bass like a guitar player where he like, he fills in all like the empty blanks, you know? So we're kind of a two guitar band, but one of the bass. You know? Yeah, I've, I've always said bass players like that, like Roger, uh, they're frustrated uh, guitar or bass players. You know, they, they want to be playing the guitar and, and <laughs> Brian's, Brian's definitely your second guitarist in that respect. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Chorus number one, it comes quick, 42nd mark. Again, dynamics, same chord progression, but the gang vocals come in here. It's no harmonies. It's a gang. It's like you're at the show. The whole damn crowd has their fist in the air. Uh, And the lyric is, we live our life in our own way. Never really listen to what they say. The kind of faith that doesn't fade away. We are the true believers. And then there's the big raucous backing chant of ah, ah, and the long held out ah, we are the true believers. What are you saying there lyrically? I think that Brian wrote most of the words to the chorus. And um, we were writing songs about like what we do all day, you know, like, and we go to shows and we like ride our BMX bikes around town and we get drunk and, and go to the bars and crash our bikes and do these things, you know, and, and that's like, <laughs> yeah, we were like, also like, you know, like probably just turned 30 ish, like late twenties or thirties. And we were like, totally like snotty, like the little, like, don't tell us what to fucking do. Like we're going to live our life how we want to. And, all these people that we connect with, you know, and everywhere, like, like I said before, like going to shows or like meeting people in our scene. And there's a, there's a really cool scene back then. Like we were all the same kind of mind frame. Like we're just going to like live life, like how we want to. Jersey punks were tough. I mean, I was probably afraid of Brian until about 10 years ago. You know, what, what a sweetheart, but man, he looks menacing. And back in the days when he tossed back some beers, like back in the warp tour, it's like, man, I don't want to mess with that dude. <laughs> But you guys couldn't couldn't have been a nicer nicer bunch of dudes, you know. We we're trying to just like talk about like how we feel. Like we we believe a hundred percent, and we were always the kind of band that like we never had a backup plan. It was just, like we either do this or we're just going to be homeless or on the streets and be total piece of shit, you know. So we like we fucking believe it all the way, you know. Good for you. I've heard heard a lot of musicians say that it's like mu- music save your life because you know you know what probably else you would you would have been doing uh, after this chorus again dynamics it's the same three chords but how do you change it up well you guys change it up by doing in my notes here i put dun 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 and then the drums are like taka 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 you know and that happens four times fcg drum fill fcg and then it comes into verse two verse is interesting it's only a verse and a half it's not you know one verse or not a two-part verse like verse one but there's no guitar here adding to that dynamic it's just bass and drums it breaks down and uh killer bass tone here man i I really feel like brian came into his own on this record tone wise do you attribute that to him just obviously getting better and, and you know at his craft or did john seymour have anything to do with that how you recorded bass can't like remember, but I think that's that's around maybe when Brian started really playing through more like SPTs and stuff, like to get that bigger kind of chunkier like piano chord look, low piano sound, you know. And he really like mastered that, you know. And that's 
first record I remember it being like really like really prevalent. Well, I remember listening to this record on, on the bus back uh, Warp Tour, and some of the first times I heard it, re- remarking that, wow, you can actually hear the bass on a Souls record, and it's rocking, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, like I said, I think he, he really came, uh, came into his own here. Having no guitar here on this verse, for me, takes away of that sameness of having the same three chords. It's like, oh, the guitar's not there, and it's, even though it's the same three chords, it feels different. Going to read these lyrics and have you set them up for us. Well, you can fight or you can run. Hide under a rock till the war is won. Play it safe and don't make a sound. But not us. We won't back down. True believers all the way. You and I. And those last two lines I just read, it's like kind of a half verse. It's it's really different. And again, was that to just, you were just kind of flying by the seat of your pants? Didn't know. <laughs> like again, like it's just like that, like don't know what you're doing is cooler than know what you're doing. But, kind of thing. but it felt it felt good, right? Yeah, it felt great. Like we were like, we just wanted to make the statement, you know, we didn't care like how many there were. Or I didn't even know that it was a person half two. You just told me. And I was like, oh, like, yeah, that's right. It is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like a, a verse and a half. It's very, very different on those last two lines. True believers all the way. You and I stereo guitars come back in there, but they're, they're doing this chugging uh, thing, uh, not straight chords. And it changes the feel again. It changes the feel there when that guitar comes in. You don't play that rhythm. It's like a staccato pattern. You don't play that again in the rest of the song. Just build up to a chorus, you know, or build up to another. Another interlude. <laughs> <laughs> first half is doing the verse melody same as like the first time it happened in the song but the last four bars pete it branches off into something else here although uh it doesn't go up uh, an octave and continue the melody line uh like on the second half the first time but also something odd and i listen to a bunch of different versions because when you when you go online people upload stuff differently and, and maybe you're not hearing something or you know and i even check my headphones but it also almost sounds like this second half of this solo here and this part of the song is buried in the mix. It's the part that's like hard to like make out, you know? Yeah. Do you recall why that was? I can't remember, but it's just like, uh, I remember it being like a replacement C kind of like open strumming guitar thing that just makes a cool chord with a little bit of a, a melody behind it. Yeah, because you're doing, when I'm listening hard, you're doing some cool stuff there, but it's hard to discern. And this is a pretty good mix. You know, you got some good sounds going on here. And I just, I kind of wondered why was that intentional or, or do you, do you recall talking about that? You should have turned it up. <laughs> See, it's the 20th anniversary of the record. You could do a remix in, in, in Little Eden Studios and turn that part up. You'll be golden. Let's get this one part louder. <laughs> You should have turned it up. Did John Seymour mix the record? He did, yeah. yeah. He did. Do you remember being there for the mix? Uh, me and Brian and John were there the whole time, yeah. Me and Brian had our hands on the whole thing, like every every detail of this one. But I think that's why like the whole, like the bass thing you're talking about and like the like the relationship with the guitar and the bass were, you know, like, like how we wanted it. Was John kind of letting you guys be who you wanted to be? Or do you remember him suggesting things? He wasn't too much like changing the songs or anything because this one, like we came in like, fucking ready to record like these songs were done the next record that like like we worked on together was anchors away and like he had a little bit more ideas on that like like with songs and stuff but this one we like rehearsed it so much that we were like we're ready to record like just like run the tape this record was like mostly tracked at least uh guitar bass and drums were tracked live and then some guitar doubling and stuff before you presented the song john it was just within the band you and brian writing it on the beach Compared to the other songs on the record at that point, okay, before you went to record, where did the song sit with you? Do you remember? Was it? Uh, did you think you had something special there? It was going to resonate with the fans. Now we really think about that when we like do a record, like uh, which song is going to be the one like to, to put out first, you know? Yeah. And we were still in like the we'll just write songs and see which ones the people like better, you know? It was just another song. I think Epitaph had their say like on which songs were going to be the ones that we put out like a singles like gone and true believers were the ones in this record that were the ones that we did like videos for and stuff right i mean this record has awesome my broken record that song private radio just some some of i think your best songs classic bouncing soul songs did you have the same feeling 
when you're now recording it, you're hearing the playback of the tracks coming. Where did True Believers sit then? Was it kind of just another song or did you kind of think, yeah, hey, maybe there's something here? We were really fucking stoked on it because I remember like getting all kinds of people to come in and like have like a like, gang vocal party and having beers and hanging out and, and like listening to it like all together, like really stoked, like high fives, you know, like this is fucking awesome. Like it was one of the ones that like we were really pumped about in the studio i'm so happy you mentioned that because i i'm probably going to forget to ask i had thought about this last night who sang the backing vocals who who, who was in that was it all you all everybody in the band and you said some friends and anybody notable the other cool thing about this album is that we uh recorded it at the studio uh in massachusetts called longview farms oh yeah that john recommended because like he'd been there a couple times and um it's a live-in kind of place it's a farm you know like there's two studios there's a house there's a studio in the house where like we did this record and there's a studio in the barn that was gigantic, you know? So we weren't really at home. So we had to like um, enlist like a couple of friends there. Like um, Jeff Abarda from Epitaph had, had come out to come hang out with us. He's on there. And then uh, James Lynch from Dropkick Murphys. Oh yeah, old James. He was on tour, but his dad, who's like super fucking cool, lived like right near where the studio was. And he brought all his buddies down. What? <laughs> Yeah, the guitar player from the Dropkick Murphys father brought his buddies to sing on a Bouncing Souls record in Massachusetts. Pat Lynch, yeah, I've heard it all now. <laughs> they come to all our shows. They came and his like his dad was like a total punk. That is awesome. Of course, that studio, uh, Boston's, had done a bunch of records up there. A bunch of known bands, like you know, like the Rolling Stones were up there. Uh, when we were there, most Def was in the barn recording. Like, 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 like we had some cool experiences up there. That's inc- rad. That's incredible. Well, we're now at chorus two. There's only two choruses in this song, which which is amazing because it, it feels like the whole thing's kind of like one anthem, you know. Yeah, you don't you don't need more than two choruses, but uh, it's the same exact lyrics as chorus one. Uh, and at the at the end here, uh, you get that uh, FCG with the drum fills in between that happens another four times before the last line, which Greg sings alone. There's no uh, gang vocals in this. He just says "True Believers." It's kind of buried. It's not really up there in the mix. It's just kind of him just kind of saying one last thing. And this is where the chord progression finally changes. The last three seconds of the song, the last three hits, the chords go G, F, and end on C. <laughs> was that just how you wrote it? Or was that somebody saying, hey, let, you know what? It's been the same thing. Let's change it up here in the last three seconds. Just like in the room together, like me, Brian, McDermott, like, how should we end this? And <laughs> so just that, and, and that it just stuck, you know? So do you remember, we're going back a number of years, I know, Pete, do you remember playing this for the first time or the first couple of times and, and what the response was? I remember when we uh, put the record out, so it was like maybe like May or something, like of, of 2001, it was like late spring. It was right when like things like MySpace were kind of happening, yeah. you know, like all this happening and uh, we put the record out and it was such a huge response you know like people were so fucking stoked like i remember going on the internet which i hardly ever ever seen before you know yeah and being like whoa all these people are so excited about this record and we went out and did a couple pretty big tours then and, and like the songs like were instant hits which like doesn't always happen you know like it was like, like it's a different time back then you know like epitaph was like a machine for our kind of music you know and music was out there instantly and, and everyone had it and everyone everyone knew it and everyone was singing every song you know that had been out for like a month and it was like such a cool feeling i remember that happening for the first time like on that record have you guys played true believers at every show since then i think so yeah 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 <laughs> you got to right you know there, there's probably like 10 songs that like we got to play every night yeah you, know? you, you got to play the hits you got to make the make the, the the fans happy and and uh what is it in your opinion about this song that has stood the test of time. Why is this one of the ones for your band? I think it's just because of what we're all about and, and what our like what our fans are about. You know, like we are the true believers. Like like we believe this shit so much. And um, the people who 
come to our shows like we never got like huge and or got like any kind of like big like commercial success but our our fans are like hardcore and like we all stick by each other like big time and that's like that whole thing is like embodied in the song i think for sure well listen man we're, we're gonna wrap up here in a second uh anything you'd like to leave the listeners with what's uh going on with you at your studio little eden what's going on with the band what's happening the band's working on a new record which should be out later on this year we're really really excited about like what i talked about earlier like uh, there's a bunch of those songs and a few more um so it's kind of like kind of like back to this kind of thing like back to just flung short songs like w- without like all that overthinking <laughs> some of our records that were like overthought are some of our best records as well but it's fun to go back and just like just like play songs just like 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 a bunch of high school kids again yeah right on man well listen thank you so much for for sitting in with us i appreciate it cool thank you man this was awesome Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Pitchfork said absolutely nothing about the Vipers album, Spread the Poison. But punk fan Brock Renata said, Blah! Check out the Vipers album, Spread the Poison. Streaming everywhere now, including down your leg. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Summer Years, a pop-punk rock band from Oceanside, California. The band consists of Nick Lenari on vocals and guitar, Noah Rabe on lead guitar, keys, and backing vocals, Mike Liordi on bass and backing vocals, and Isaac Park on the drums. Here's a snippet of their song, This Light. The Rap with Chris and Chris. So, Chris, I heard a word used in this episode that I don't know if we've used yet on Chris to Makes a Podcast, maybe once or twice, but that word is anthem. Do you consider true believers to be an anthem? I do. I really do. I think this song, this just the whole gang vocal thing, when you see them play this song, I, I definitely think it qualifies as an anthem. Yes. Yeah. What are the qualifications of an anthem? It's not just that it's a sing-along. You can sing along to a lot of songs. There has to be more to it than that, right? Yeah, I, I, I think we're not going to take it as an anthem. Uh, again, another New York, New York Jersey band. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, it kind of like Pete said, it, it's kind of like that uh, self-perseverance and that that drive, and, and and we're all in it for one cause. It's it's uh, you know fish united in the fish right. united in the air. We all come together. Type mentality. Right. A song that represents the ideals of a entire group of people. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it sometimes said that anthems will span generations. And I don't know if that's necessarily 
a qualifier. Like something can be an anthem of this generation, but not necessarily of the last generation of people, right? I think it just has to bring a bunch of people together singing like you're saying. I always picture those fists pumping in the air. Yeah, I mean, you know, We Will Rock You by Queen is an anthem, and that was a 70s song, but I think that has transcended decades. I think it's, uh, you know, <laughs> every sporting game you go to, people are stomping their feet and clapping their hands. Ba, 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 ba. You know, it's uh, just woven into the fabric of, of society. Right, yeah, and it's whatever brings people together. Dude, did you know, <laughs> this is so weird to think of this as an anthem, but... The song that they play at Pittsburgh Steelers games to get people psyched up. Do you know what song it is? It's so weird. <laughs> I don't. It's a Renegade. By Styx? Isn't that a weird one? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it starts out with that like, Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the When it's like the most intense part of the game, if you're at the Steelers game, people are like, oh shit, here we go. And I don't know, it just gets the fans fired up. But I don't really think that's an anthem. But I just think it's funny that it kind of is in a Steelers situation. I think that was a man-made created anthem. You know, I think it became an it became yeah. an anthem because a sports team decided that, that was going to going to be their song. I mean, you know, certainly uh, baseball players will be on deck, and when they're walking to the plate, they have you know, "Welcome to the Jungle" playing or something, and that 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 that's their right. anthem. But but uh, you know, I, like I said to Pete in the episode, I fondly remember this song, and you know. I, I didn't say this to him in the episode I, I, I meant to, but I'll share it with you. You know, there was a time back in the day when, when bands would put out new records and, and it was like they were embraced by the fans. It was a different time. And now it's like the record kind of has to, you know, sit with the fan base for a while before they want to hear the new songs. I always want to hear the old stuff. And man, when this record came out and they played True Believers on that Warp Tour, the whole place was, was going going crazy. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. It usually does take some time for it to to sink in and do its mm-hmm. thing. Well, and he even mentioned, you know, when they went out and they, they started playing the song, he couldn't believe how it resonated. He realized it was at that moment it wasn't just another song in the bunch. It, it was it was it was becoming bigger than uh, the rest of their catalog for whatever reason. And you talked about the allure of three chord punk rock, and yeah, there's something magical about being able to create something that resonates with people just using three chords. And there's also something really cool about when you're learning to play music or to just be able to do it, even if you've been playing music forever, to just pick up and be able to play a song and not have to worry about a lot of intricacies <laughs> in a song. There, there's something really cool about that. Sure. And, you know, even though it's all the same three chords, there's a lot of moving parts in True Believers, you know. Uh, at the top, it starts off with all those single hits for the whole first verse, which is a double verse. It's just single hits with chords ringing out. Then it goes into the interlude part where the guitar is playing the, the melody line. And granted, the band, and uh, you know, the, the bass and is still doing the same progression. Uh, then you get into the chorus. You got the gang vocals, the big uh, stereo guitars come in there. So uh, a lot of different different dynamics within the within this song that uh lets them get away with it being three chords hey chris you know i'm one of those bassists that plays the bass like a guitar (laughs) (laughs) i've noticed yes that's awesome yeah i mean i feel like i'm a good bassist i feel like i'm precise i'm not sloppy about it i don't like sloppy bass playing but my motion i play like it's a guitar you know like i i do the the full you know a lot of bass players don't do that yeah, it's just how I learned to play. And Chris, I don't know if you get this, but I obviously get really sweaty when I play. I imagine you probably get really sweaty when you play. But uh, I get this thing where when I'm because I play like that, 
my wrist gets rubbed raw on my bass when I play. Like sometimes I'll look down at my wrist after we're done playing. I'm like, oh my God, I'm bleeding from my wrist. Has that ever <laughs> happened to you? Uh, no, no. Oh. My, 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 my fingers have gotten cut up on the, on the strings before, but I've, I've never had the, the bleeding of the wrist. But something I wanted to touch on, you, you said a moment ago, you know, and I've talked to other bass players about this. I think a lot of bass players, their approach to the bass was so guitar driven because how many houses have you walked into when you were a kid that, that had a bass sitting in the corner? It was always right. an acoustic guitar or a guitar you know the, the bass wasn't like oh, i'm gonna go pick up you know uncle fred's bass and start noodling around uh most bass players learned on a guitar dude i mean i'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> i didn't grow up in like a musical household anything music related was something i discovered on my own and i think i talked to you about this before the same week i found out what a bass was i got one <laughs> to start playing with to start playing with my friends because we need a bass player i think before that i probably thought a bass was like a bass drum yeah isn't that weird i mean i was young but like whatever i should have known what a bass was by the time i was 13 years old i don't think i even did i thought they were just all guitars yeah <laughs> well and and you know speaking of bass with in in regards to this song peter kind of mentioned that brian uh, was using a different amp of course john seymour a uh, different producer and uh the bass tone is really rich uh on this record and and brian really came into his own live as well when the, when the band would play this song so they, they all stepped up their game and and enough can't be said about mike mcdermott what he brought to this band uh completely ele- elevated them during during this period i love a rich bass tone you know me uh, <laughs> and also chris one more thing that I mean, this is the attitude I think you got to have maybe even more in punk rock, but it's the attitude of we're either going to do this or we're going to be pieces of shit <laughs> like or we're, we're just not going to do anything. I think I mean, I guess it doesn't just relate to music. I think it could be anything in life. Like if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to put your all behind it. And I super respect that. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. What uh, what? The, the souls were lacking in, in, in raw talent they made up for in, in sheer determination and everything that Pete was saying. And uh, they, they went on to become a great band. For sure. And uh, I think that we've gone on to become a great podcast, Chris. We have. <laughs> not, not, to, not to switch the subject too much there. But uh, speaking of that, if you agree with that sentiment, that very arrogant sentiment <laughs> that I just conveyed there, then maybe you could go, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts or now Spotify has it too, and leave us a five-star rating or maybe write a little review. That helps other people find the podcast and it helps us keep going. That's right. And we can continue to secure those artists that you want to hear about their song on this show. So if you could please give us a review or a rating, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. Yep. Anything else before we go this week, Chris? Nope. Just give me a follow on Instagram. I'm there at less than Chris D. Join our Facebook group. Krista makes a podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you join it. It's free. It's fun. And uh, I want to thank this week's guest, Pete Steinkopf from The Bouncing Souls. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.